welcome back to Mechanical Freak. Uh, today, I'm here with a couple of special guests. Greg is gone from the show today. He is busy filming his new My Dinner with Andre remake starring Chris Pratt and Timothy Chalamet. Uh, you guys can see that at Crossroads Mall. They're filming it right now at Crossroads Mall over in Redmond. Uh, Munya, he has been flown out to the other side of the world uh, to do Munya stuff because that's what his life is like. So I'm joined by good friend of the show, Ryan Archibald. Uh, Ryan is a history instructor at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Uh, listeners, type Dominguez Hills into Google if you're curious where that's at. <laughs> um, <laughs> in Los Angeles. That's all you need to know, right? And I got Brendan McElmill here, who is a history graduate student at the University of Washington, as well as a graduate instructor, right? Uh, which means you teach classes, right? Yeah. Do the students get a discount when it's taught by a graduate student versus a PhD uh, or oh, absolutely a, a, a not. tenure track uh, professor? <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> My students are always surprised when I explain them what an adjunct is. And they're like, oh, do we get like a discount for that? And I was like, no, the college gets a discount, though, with me. <laughs> that's that's where the discount is, my friend. Well, guys, I brought you on here today to talk about colleges because it's in the news, baby. And mainly because I think when we first talked about doing this, Ryan, you were supposed to be on strike. All right. You were supposed to be at the picket line. We were supposed to hear uh, chants and uh, folk guitar music in the background. But you're not. You're sitting currently in your living or in your office and uh, you're not on strike. What happens? Yeah. So, okay. So uh, our union is California Faculty Association. Um, it represents uh, 23 CSU campuses. It's one of the large. The CSU is one of the largest public universities in the in the country. Um, I think I saw a stat that one out of every 20 college graduates goes to a CSU or has earned a degree uh, from a CSU. So massive system. We were on. We were supposed to be on strike for the first week of classes, five days. Um, beginning on January 22nd, that came after a long period of bargaining, or not the traditional bargaining in which you're bargaining for a whole contract, but different articles of the contract. Mm -hmm. So hours were workload, salary, and some other um, uh, parts of the contract. Uh, and we, the, you know, leadership was making some pretty big demands. I thought uh, that uh, I was really excited. Um, they were talking about raising the lecturer salary floor. So there's a salary schedule. Lecturer, you know, there's a floor and a ceiling. The floor is a lecturer ceiling, generally, unless there's a negotiated raise. Mm -hmm. um, there are no other ways to get a raise. Um, and, you know, they were demanding, it was, the opener was for just this academic year, 23, 24. And... The demand was for 12%. Um, and then on top of that, as a GSI, everybody in the bargaining unit, including librarians, coaches, tenure track uh, faculty, right, as well as lecturers, would get 12%. And in addition, there would be significant floor raises for the two uh, bottom tiers of uh, lecturers, where um, one is for those without terminal degrees, and then the other category is the entry point 
for faculty with terminal degrees. Mm-hmm. So, and this comes after significant, uh, you know, inflation. Our last contract failed to keep pace with inflation and amidst two other things that are important for the context. One or three, really. And one is the chancellor's pay, along with the on you know the ensuing Title IX crisis um, in the CSU system at the chancellor's office. Mm-hmm. So the chancellor, former chancellor, was uh, appointed, and it was found out that he uh, had a very significant role, if not you know actually the role in covering up a sexual harassment case at San Bernardino, where he was formerly president. Um, Wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, excellent. So they then, um, this was prior, you know, so the person prior to him also gained, had a significant um, uh, uh, salary package and compensation package. And uh, he, uh, you know, that, it constantly goes up, right? So our newest chancellor who, you know, it's been touted is the first uh, one of the first Californians to be appointed as chancellor, which is kind of crazy. Um, she's the first uh, Latine uh, woman as president or as chancellor, right? And they raised her pay by, I think it was nearly 20 to 30%. And she now has a compensation package of a million dollars um, that includes a housing stipend, a driver. Yeah. <laughs> and and then also on top of that, each of the presidents during COVID, during the pandemic, received significant raises from, you know, and our president received a 27 or 28% raise. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we were demanding 12, which wasn't a raise for the one year. That was yeah. just to keep pace with inflation. Yeah. yeah. Went through the whole thing, bargaining, it reached impasse. We then went on strike. We it was a historic strike. It's one of the it was we shut down every single campus in Southern California. There was a significant storm, and you may, you know, folks in Washington may laugh at rain and you know at Angelinos especially <laughs> <clears throat> responses to rain. But it's you know after living down here, the city and the region is just not built for it. There is no yeah, infrastructure yeah. to handle the amount of water that can come in during these really, you know, increasingly common storms now. They used to be much rarer. So I was out there along with my colleagues in the in the rain, you know, get home. I still had my Seattle rain gear. So I, you know, had that out outside getting getting uh, dried, put in the bathroom, actually. And uh, I I'm, you know, I'm going to the picket line the next day, you know, um, and I check my email at 8 p.m. and we got an email saying, "Oh, strike is over. We reached a tentative agreement." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, weird how we got there. <laughs> um, yes, so. yes. The we is a very is very uh, doing a lot of work there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have an agreement. I can only assume, given the. Uh, just luxury pay that the chancellor and the presidents have. This is just like, this is just proving the kind of like limousine liberal lifestyle that people are living at colleges. Um, So what was the agreement that you got, Ryan? Each one of you gets 12 hours a week on the private jet. Um, 
you get to you know new houses in the hollywood hills paid for by the college uh what what was what was your agreement i assume it must have exceeded all expectations since it stopped the strike right yeah one would think <laughs> like it would uh, that they caved and no uh we got made a demand for 12 percent for this academic year um mm. we got five percent retroactive to yep. the beginning of the academic year the csu's last and final offer was 23 or it was five percent beginning january so mm -hmm. six more months of five percent and then there was some movement on the floor they raised so they so the first level we were demanding a ten thousand dollar raise uh, or raise on that and then the 12 percent on top of it um they instead did five percent and then raised it by six or they raised it first by three this year and then the next year they're going to do three for the second level they raised it by three and got five now mm -hmm. that assumes if you have the three per three or three thousand if you have a full course load you will see that three thousand right or if, um what have you or the full five percent but if you don't, and most of our faculty don't teach a full course load, you're only going to see a fraction of that. And mm -hmm. so the lower the number, the less impact it's really going to have. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, this win was touted as there's aspirational language of gender inclusive uh, bathrooms and uh, lactation spaces, but there's nothing committing the CSU mm -hmm. to actually do that. Whoops, so we had some technical difficulty regarding internet connections while recording this interview. So we're going to pick it back up uh, right now. To kind of go back a little bit, I uh, there's also one of our demands was for more counselors on campus um, mm -hmm. to deal, you know, that for students to have better access to mental health care. Um, and then our demand was to have, I think it's one counselor for every 1500 students, 1000 to 1500 students. And, um, that's established by a national body. Mm -hmm. Now, I, the, see what ended up being, uh, agreed upon by the leadership uh, was a, in the tentative agreement was aspirational language was that the CSU would attempt to honor the <laughs> one to 1,000 to 1,500 uh, counselors and um, that the CFA could not bargain on mental health counseling ratios until 2026. Now that has some importance because here's the other thing. Our contract was supposed to be negotiated or what well, this negotiation was just a reopener so it was supposed to just impact the final year of the contract that started in 2022 and mm -hmm. after this negotiation we, we would open up the entire contract to bargaining for 20 uh, 2024 to usually 2027 usually three-year contracts now the cfa agreed to extend the whole the entirety of the contract another year and with that so there is a five percent 
GSI or general salary increase um, that is contingent on the state not reducing the base funding of the Cal State system. Yeah. Now, oh. you may not, you know, listeners may not know this, but California is facing a very sizable deficit. Um, and uh, we have previously had contingent contingencies in our contracts with raises. One of our uh, GSIs was supposed to be 4%. It got cut down to 3% due to a budget um, shortfall. So that contingency is very concerning, right? And, and our current governor has shown that his priorities are really with the UC system and the community college system, not the Cal state system. And we can talk about the differences if you need to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's this one day strike. This was the offer. Apparently this was, uh, introduced to, you know, Cal State contacted them in the afternoon, and they accepted this offer. Um, everybody else was planning on going on strike. People were shocked. I know that a lot of uh, members feel betrayed in terms of the lack of transparency and openness, the lack of de- uh, democratic input. And so we'll see if this tentative agreement passes. The voting um, was uh began on Sunday or on Monday, I can't remember, and it closes on Sunday at 5 p.m. And there Mm -hmm. has been a significant no campaign. Four of the 23 campuses, you know, local boards have, e-boards have uh, recommended a no vote. San Francisco State, CSU LA, um, CSU San Bernardino, and CSU Long Beach. And with LA and Long Beach, those are very sizable campuses, very large. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, if some core issues are coming up that are obviously going to be in our contract battle at my school as well. So, which is, yeah, this issue of pay, and I think that sometimes people get lost when they think about this. Is like, oh, you know, oh, you want these raises or whatever to deal with the uh, the Biden inflation or whatever, you know, what you know, the inflation since twenty twenty, right? And uh, the reality is is colleges across the country for the most part have had like frozen wages since at least 2009, <laughs> you know, and a lot of, uh, in these faculty demands, so they're asking for say 15% or something like that. And it sounds, you know, uh, to, to some people it's like, wow, that seems like a lot. It's like, yeah, that's to make up for the, uh, 15 years of frozen wages up to this point. Right. And so it's like, yeah, this has been deferred wages for over a decade. And, that your college is doing the thing that my college wants to do as well. And I think every college wants to do, which is, uh, sure. We'll, we'll do this like weird math where it's like, maybe we give you 15% or some lesser number of that, but over the course of years, right. Which is a way to diminish that pay further, right? Because inflation doesn't just stop or, you know, it's going to continue over the years. So if I guarantee you 5% this year, then next year, the next year, right? That, that 5% gets less and less. As we yeah, it's, not, it's, it, it's a pay cut. Like the yeah. 5% this year is a, is a pay cut. If you were to, you know, take the entirety of the, you know, the two 5% as 10.25% mm-hmm. uh, per, percent, that's a pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. And then they say kind of they lean on the other kind of tricks in their bag at that point, which is the, uh, yeah, genuflecting towards some bullshit that doesn't cost them anything. Right. Like, I uh, will give you lactation stations. And it's like, 
yeah, but the person who is, I guess, breastfeeding also can't pay rent, which I'm mean, adventure is probably a bigger problem in their life, right? Uh, <laughs> well, they're also required to by law. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is another funny thing. So we got from the state uh, this last summer, we got a cola bump, which is the first one that had happened in a decade for uh, higher education workers uh, from the state. But uh, we got an 8% cola bump and the college very quickly took credit for it and said, we gave you an 8% way, or raise. And it's like, uh, no, you didn't. <laughs> uh, so the union had to quickly send out a counter email. But part of it is like, you know, we should have been ahead on the messaging and not let the college take the reins. But the the other trick to like, you know, genuflect it, some stupid bullshit that doesn't cost them anything is, of course, leaning on the state and being like, oh, but the big mean state, you know, uh, it doesn't give us any money. Right. And so that's a, a real like uh, get out of jail free for the college clause they put in there for you, Ryan, of like, well, if the, if the state cuts the budget, we actually aren't obligated to do shit, <laughs> you know? Well, in, you know, and to give you some concrete, like a concrete example, the Cal State system has over $8 billion in reserves. It, ha- it mm. is run on a millions of dollars surplus for a number of years that it just stashes and stashes away. And we'll probably get into this, mm-hmm. um, but just stashes away into a variety of investments and accounts. And so mm-hmm. they, you know, are claim they claim poverty, but the cash is there, right? But the cash is only there for administration, not yeah. for actually the mission of the university, which is teaching. Um, yeah. <laughs> but most presidents don't most presidents don't view the the core mission of the university as teaching. Yeah, we, we could get into that of whether that's actually the point of a college at this point. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, uh, the, the thing about the chancellery salaries and stuff like that, um, that was just very funny as well, because during we had a reopener over the summer that was just wages. That was the only thing we were allowed to talk about. Interestingly, the college came in immediately wanting to attack the amount of full time positions uh that was their beginning from the bargaining uh position but uh while that was happening we were hiring a new president who yes got a uh 25% raise over the previous uh full-time president as well as they were they had previously taught at North Seattle Community College and were now teaching at, at Everett right uh meaning they were they were moving effectively 20 miles north and we gave them a $30,000 moving stipend. <laughs> so, you know, uh, they also announced the president that they had picked this president. because They, of course, do these million dollar finding committees and stuff. But they announced that they picked this person before they negotiated their salary, which is, of course, an excellent uh, beginning bargaining position. But all the while, while this is happening, pleading to us, the bargaining committee, poverty you know and here we have the fundamental contradiction in colleges when it comes to money uh uh, brendan you are in the graduate students union which is still uaw right yep yeah so i mean this is also kind of funny right so you know i'm in american federation of teachers uh right it's the california uh it's independent it's independent. Okay. And then the United Auto Workers cover the uh, graduate students at UW. I just always found that so funny. I think we're officially the United Auto Worker. It, there, there's all the many A's now. It's like Auto Worker, uh, Aerospace, and maybe Academic. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, it, I, I think it is, at one it point, is a sizable percentage now with the membership. Their is, largest uh, growth for a while was in mm-hmm. Academic Workers, which is, is kind yeah. of funny. But. Um, 
Yeah, Brendan, so you guys are also... Oh, it's, it's United Automobile, Aerospace, and Agricultural Implement Workers. Oh. Well, maybe one day you'll get a letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys are also coming up on a negotiation, right? Like, what's what's the the situation mm-hmm. for, for y'all as far as, like, what does the status look like? Uh, how, how, <laughs> how does it look like it's going to go? Uh, so it's not looking great. Um, they are they are in negotiations now, but like the university is always already doing some shady stuff. Like they keep telling us that they can't res- they can't afford to reserve a room on their own campus that will allow the negotiations to have an audience of ASEs beyond the bargaining <laughs> committee. Um, <laughs> like, like they can't. The and, stuff oh, they come up with way, sometimes. Like, there's, and it's already like in the the policy that they split the cost with our union. Like the union mm-hmm. pays fifty percent of the reservation fee for this room. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of I think back in twenty eighteen, the last time we negotiated um, and ended up striking. You know, a big part of what helped us mobilize was when people went and watched how they talked to us in these negotiations. Mm-hmm. It caused a lot of people to that. This is how I got involved in that time. They kept sending emails, saying, "Hey, just come to the negotiating meeting and watch this." And I did that, and I was like, "Oh, oh no! <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we yeah. need to be more involved in this." <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, the postdocs at at UW struck last year because all of these same issues were what's coming on. I mean, the postdocs are people who are. Uh, they finished their PhDs, but they have yet to get tenure track or even adjunct positions. And they get this um, kind of intermediary position where for a few years they are, you know, doing research for the university, sometimes teaching for the university and be paying slightly more than an academic student employee, but not as much as a professor in this temporary uh, position. Uh, and they are not paid enough to live in Seattle like the rest of us and mm-hmm. have... I don't know all the details because I'm not a postdoc, but um, the university was also stalling very heavily with that negotiation and threatening a lot of a lot of academics in general and postdocs in particular are international students. And so they were immediately kind of coming for them and suggesting that, hey, if you're going to strike, uh, we might have to cancel your visas or cancel your enrollment, which means canceling your visa, which they mm-hmm. mentioned in the email. They pulled the same thing with us very in 2018. Cool. Um and we were asking for a lot of the same things that it sounds like, uh, you know, Ryan's union is asking for. We were asking for more mental health and sexual harassment protections for both ASCs and undergraduates. And we were asking for uh, more money to live in Seattle. We had many people uh, go to the university and talk about how they're living on ramen noodles, how we have graduate students who were homeless, who were living out of their cars. And the the callousness with which they responded, and more importantly, they kept similarly uh, like stalling and like saying, "Oh, we should discuss that at the next meeting." It's like, "Oh, we can't answer any questions about the budget right now," even though their whole claim to us is we don't have any money for this, right? Um, so then they scheduled multiple meetings with other people in the university. At some point, we met with the provost, and the entire purpose of the meeting was to talk about the budget. When he got there, he was like, I can't answer any direct questions about the budget. They were similarly asking us to take a pay cut, essentially, right? They were freezing our wages Mm -hmm. and raising the fees that we owe to them. We pay them fees every quarter to stay enrolled, which is to work for them. Um, And then we also pay, (laughs) they wanted us to pay higher insurance premiums. So essentially taking a pay cut, right? And when we asked questions about like why they were doing that to the people making the least amount of money in the university, 
uh, they they didn't really have an answer for us. We asked the provost if he was taking a pay cut or anybody in his office, and of course, he didn't have that information either. <laughs> Convenient. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, look, I, I think what we're establishing is we've all chosen a very stupid line of work to be in. <laughs> uh, the Simpsons were right. You know, <laughs> yeah, the Simpsons were absolutely correct. Made yeah. stupid choices, <laughs> bad life decisions. I think is the quote. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me! I'm a grad student. I'm 30 years old, and I made $600 last year. Bummer! Don't make fun of grad students. They just made a terrible life choice. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but I think in talking about this. There, you know, colleges are perpetually since the late 60s, like a feature of the culture war. And we're obviously in the middle of another like high point of, you know, universities, you know, being targeted in the culture war. And like all culture war issues, it's kind of fascinating how little anybody understands how the thing at the center of the argument actually works. Right. And I think it's worth talking about these contract negotiations just to explain like how screwed like faculty workers are for the most part and uh essentially how like under siege they are uh in similar ways to people you know people in any other job in america i think there's a feeling uh that a lot of people have that don't have a lot of connection to how universities work or connection to universities that a college campus is made up of tenured professors who are unfireable and teach one class a year where they uh, tell their students about gay Marxism and get paid, you know, $700,000 for it, you know? And uh, the reality is it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, A lot of the people teaching at your school are living in essentially poverty, like and uh, in a lot of cases, uh, very much below the poverty line. And so I think a breakdown of the actual college labor system as far as faculty are concerned might be helpful for people here actually um there are levels of college instructor right it's not just one group of people right there are these levels that get played against each other and all these things and uh here to help us and ryan you shocked me early this morning because I was ready, me and Brendan were ready, actually, both to harangue you and hurl rotten vegetables at you as being at the top of our labor aristocracy as a full-time faculty. And you shocked me by telling me that, like me, you are a lowly adjunct. Uh, but given that you're uh, at a school and you're there full-time and you have an office, uh, maybe you can explain what does it mean to be tenure track? What does it mean to be full-time? And like, where does that sit in the sort of college instructor hierarchy? An office that I share with about seven other people. So, uh, Oh, Hey, yeah, look at this. Raise your hand. This is great for the listeners, by the way, raise your hand. If you have your own office, damn, damn <laughs> community college for the win. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you, you wanted the breakdown of the, the top two, right? The smaller and smaller share of the prep, uh, professoriate, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, what does it mean to be tenure track? What does it mean to be full-time? About how many instructors kind of are in that category at any institution? Not like a specific number, but like, you know, like, where, where does that stand currently? Yeah, I mean, it. so at the top, you have your tenured faculty and those that are on tenure track. Um, with tenure... 
you have a you know not absolute protections, but you do have significant protections um, designed in the wake of uh, you know the Great Depression um, and you know other other inst- moments of crisis to protect academic freedom and to kind of you know protect uh, uh, you know faculty from you know, har- harassment now. That's in theory. In fact, it, it tenure is very rarely an obstacle to um, getting someone fired uh, if they are, especially politically, mm-hmm. um, you know, an yeah, opponent see, of, of. Yeah, see Ward Churchill. Uh, you know, read Ward Churchill's for, Wikipedia if you want. Or for the you know University of Washington in the 1950s, they mm-hmm. fired numerous professors who were either former members of the CP or had um you know connection you know we're fellow travelers right mm-hmm. um and this is not just humanities either it's it, it's also science faculty and math faculty as well anyway so at the tenure track level you are uh you have a couple of responsibilities at an r1 institution you are generally the high, which is a research university like the university of washington pay is is very good uh, in comparison to other fact, in comparison to the other faculty, um, you teach a smaller course load, allowing you time for research. You do have a research obligation as part of your job. Um, now, at different university systems, that's in, uh, enforced differently. The um, it's also an increasingly rare share of the uh, you know of faculty. Um, also, part of their job, I would say about the percentage is around 30%. I know in our department, I think it's just over 30% of faculty are tenure or tenure track. The other responsibility, so you have research, um, there's also teaching. And so teaching, it consists of one, having you know, lectures and seminars, right? Your normal undergraduate teaching, but also graduate teaching. Right, um, trying to, in theory, it's kind of the old apprentice apprenticeship model, right? Of of training your future replacement or person who's going to continue, and then finally, the last responsibility is service work, uh, serving on a variety of commu- uh, com- uh, committees um, that are supposed to uh, share in the governance of the university and college. At an R2 or R3 level, tenure track faculty also have um, advising responsibilities. So at our our university, which is a teaching university, um, all of our undergraduates in the major have to see a tenure tenure track professor to register for classes. Um, And that way they kind of get through all of their requirements, but also kind of balance, balance their course load. Um, and that's a great deal of labor um, just to meet that number of students in addition to the teaching load. At an R1 institution, you're probably looking at for a quarter system, maybe a 2 2 0, where you don't teach in the spring, or a 2 1 1, um, where you're teaching a total of four classes per academic year. At a t- uh, semester system in the CSUs, you are uh, supposed to have a teaching load of four, four, four classes per semester. 
which mm-hmm. is you know a great deal yeah. of work. Um, but that generally gets winnowed down to a three three, um, given the amount of service work that has to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you know tenure faculty at at different institutions experience you know a lot of different uh, working conditions at University of Washington, say, you know, their working conditions as a tenure track faculty are, are fairly good. Um, at the CSU, there's incredible workload um, in addition to what they are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. At the next level is a kind of n- newer kind of type of faculty of uh, full-time faculty who are um, considered full-time employees of the university generally on year-to-year contracts or maybe, you know, multi-year contracts, but still a contract relationship. Um, You uh, have a guaranteed course load. Um, You uh, have decent pay, Um, not great, not bad, but decent pay. There's more room to negotiate workload and um, uh, uh, pay. But you also are, depending at the university, uh, you are um, expected to take part in some sort of service work, you know, either on committees, in shared governance, and in advising students. And and the service work thing we'll definitely get into in a second. But yeah, so when people are talking about uh, professors, right, they're kind of imagining these categories, right? People who are there full time, they're full time employees. They have yearly contracts at the very minimum, right? But are employees of the college, like in a real way, like you might have actually imagined it. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that most people, when they think of you know professors, they imagine a kind of Ivy League institution where they mm-hmm. are have a great deal of autonomy, have uh, a very light teaching load, and dedicate most of their time to research, right? To mm-hmm either working in archives or working in the laboratory, right? <laughs> or hanging out in the faculty lounge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, which is, you know, is is very far from the truth, right? Yeah. I, you yeah. know, the New York Times loves to focus on, and newspapers love to focus on Harvard, on uh, Yale. That is not representative of the university system. Yeah, yeah. That is not the real world. Um, no. Yeah, so moving from the, the full-time and tenured and tenured track faculty, uh, we'll talk now about the faculty that is increasingly, and I would say probably at most colleges, the, the bulk of the faculty as far as just sheer numbers, which is the adjunct faculty, which would be the category that I'm in and the category that Ryan is in. And... You'll notice as we go down the pyramid to the shittiest jobs, the jobs get more convoluted and weirder and maybe a little harder for people that aren't in the system to understand. Uh, But essentially, the barest way to explain an adjunct faculty member is you are a contract faculty member who's contracted per like academic term. So like I have quarterly contracts. They are not guaranteed. My contract, it even states at the very bottom, which is very convenient when I get challenged uh, for my unemployment every year by the college. It even states that once the quarter starts, my contract is still not guaranteed, can be pulled at any point during the quarter uh, for any reason. Um, Between quarters, 
you might your name might be on a class and the uh you know uh on the sign up sheet right in ctc link in washington where you go to sign up for classes it might be you know next to the class and class number but you have no guarantee that you'll actually teach that class uh, for me, I don't get my contract until two weeks into the quarter. And until then, as I like to joke with my fellow faculty, I'm apparently working on spec. Uh, <laughs> you know, just hoping that uh, they'll sign me up. They could essentially not send me a contract and I would be legally screwed. Um, there wouldn't be like a ton I could do to recoup the weeks of work. Um, Do they give you a script? Do they give you script? <laughs> they might as well at this point, right? <laughs> give me, give me uh, d- uh, uh, coupons for the uh, the campus bookstore. But yeah, so that's the life of an adjunct. And you know, as you guys can attest, uh, technically as an adjunct, your contract doesn't start till the first day of the quarter. But there's a considerable amount of work that goes into your class before the first day of the quarter. You don't show up and like the students, you're like, day one, time to get going in this class, guys. So what are we talking about? <laughs> let me look at the catalog what's the name of this class again like you know you're you're assumed to have something stood up by them um and it's work you know it's a lot of work to stand a class up you're always changing it too you're always even mm-hmm. if you teach it multiple times right it's something that it's an iterative process so you're always changing things yeah you're changing things you're tinkering right but at the same time uh whereas full-time and tenure faculty have a lot more say in what classes they teach meaning they can just teach the same classes over and over again um which is a considerable time saver and work saver as an adjunct you have no such say in the classes you teach so they could move you around wildly from class to class too right which uh creates a lot of problems and a lot of extra work but for all this extra work and for all this insecurity, you're rewarded by significantly less pay. So uh, generally, I was looking through uh, the Chronicle, the Chronicle of Higher Education. Generally, it seems like adjunct pay tends to be about 70% of full-time pay. Now, I'll go into my contract and tell you what it is in my school. First-year associates relative to first-year full-time faculty uh, associates get between 66 and 69% what full-time faculty get paid, right? That depends on whether the full-time has a doctorate or not, which increasingly at this point, they all have doctorates, uh, you know, as part of the, the hiring squeeze. But so generally we get about 66% of full-time pay by year four. Uh, what happens is over most contracts with colleges is the contract gives itself a discount uh, to itself the longer you stay an adjunct there right so by year four at our school when a full-time faculty member would haha be considered for tenure track <laughs> put, put in the lol right there <laughs> uh, to ryan's point about that, that being a diminishing category we essentially have almost no tenured faculty or tenure track faculty uh it's like nobody it's probably two percent of our faculty but you know at four years they would be considered for tenure track uh, at that point an adjunct makes 63 to 65 percent what a full-time faculty makes but even that is not the full story uh, because you might look at that and you'd say, oh, so my first year is an adjunct. Uh, the pay scale for an adjunct first year is $48,000 if you have a full course load. Uh, here's the other rub. You're not going to have a full course load. 
So your course load, the best way to think about that for people who don't understand kind of like the academic like work breakdown is essentially how many hours per week you work. All right. Now, this might have no relevance to the actual amount of hours per week you work, but it's how the college views your like hours worked per week. A full time course load would be considered like 40 hours a week. Right. Uh, adjuncts typically at my school, uh, when we finally were able to get a breakdown of how many adjuncts we had and what their FTE was, I mean, their course load. Uh, typically work 55% FTE. So typically are working like 22 hours a week, if you want to think about it in the equivalent of like standard uh, work hours, which means that the average adjunct at our school is making like $26,000 a year. <laughs> All right. This is the bulk of our faculty. It is over 70% of our faculty. It is the people who teach the vast majority of the classes. Now, if you want to know why there is that giant pay differential between full-time and adjunct, right? Why we get, you know, 63% of uh, full-time pay, uh, according to our university administration, that's because we don't do service. All right. And this is why the service thing is important. And service is important stuff like doing uh, uh, advising. Uh, I will say increasingly, because we have no full-time staff, uh, we increasingly actually do that. Uh, we actually do the advising. Uh, we have whole departments that are all adjunct with not a single full-time member, uh, which is very common, I got to say, in the community colleges in the area, um, which means the advisor for that department is an adjunct. The department head is an adjunct. <laughs> um, <laughs> part of service, too, is this kind of ineffable element that kind of dates back to the older days of like maybe the mid 20th century college experience which is along with being on committees and stuff you're also supposed to be like part of campus life right you go to graduation you know you're talking with students you know you're you're part of the campus life uh again that's basic when all your campus is as adjuncts that's kind of expected of you like you're expected to go to your students' graduation. Also, like you're invested in your students too. You know, they ask you to do that kind of stuff, but you're not compensated for it uh, as would have traditionally been uh, the case at colleges. And the other bit beyond service is I'm also told that we don't grade or answer emails or hold office hours. So that's that's the other reason why we... Now, Ryan is making a face <laughs> and that is the face I made when they said that. <laughs> Where do I get that job? Yeah, I as I responded, I was like, if I didn't do my own grading or do office hours or answer my students' emails, you guys wouldn't give me a class next quarter. Like, you would cut me off from classes and basically be like, that guy sucks, fuck him. And I'd be cut out, cut out right? So this is obviously just bullshit. You know, just total yeah. bullshit. The school, the actual reason why they want adjuncts is because they, you can exploit them. Right. It's just right there in the thing. Like you can pay them significantly less. So that's why they do it. Right. And it's become since the 80s, the adjunctification of the college system has become an increasingly big problem and uh, that the the schools are largely adjuncts. Uh, for me, I teach a trade capacity. I teach in the trades. I have an easier time getting like a full workload and stuff like that. But for people like y'all who are teaching in what you would consider like the traditional college classes, you know, history, English, math, uh, it typically means your adjunct is trying to work across multiple campuses. 
So you might be teaching in uh, North Seattle Community College, you know, one day or in the morning and then driving up uh, to maybe even Bellingham, as one of our friends got to do, <laughs> you know, later that day to teach a class in Bellingham. Right? It's, uh, you know, it, it can be really, really brutal. But this is at this point the bulk of the faculty staff. Uh, so hardly the uh, easy lifestyle, easy living that is frequently portrayed. But there is a rung yet lower <laughs> in university employment hell. And uh, my God, we, we've we've I, me and Ryan for once got to reach down and pull somebody up to talk <laughs> to us. Brendan. This is the most baffling, I think, to explain to people. I think this is the thing people have the hardest time understanding is the role of graduate students at a college and how you actually are basically employees of the college doing a lot of work. But what what is what does a graduate student do and how are you compensated? Yeah, so um, like you said, this is often the most baffling or difficult to explain to people because by the time you've been in school this long and you have or you nearly have a PhD, people are very impressed with what you're doing. And then you have to explain like, no, I probably have like the worst living conditions of anybody you know. <laughs> like most of my family are from a working class background and they have been for a decade in a much better position than me. <laughs> like it, it blows their minds every time I explain it and I have to re-explain it many times. So... So yeah, so the graduate students or like at w what we're called in our union is academic student employees. And that brings together uh, graduate research assistants, uh, uh, graduate, uh, what is, teach like TAs essentially, teaching assistants, right? Um, and pre-doctoral instructors, which are people who have reached candidacy, they finished their exams, but they have not finished their dissertation yet. And they're sometimes teaching whole classes or sometimes being TAs and they are, um, but they're not yet faculty, right? And there's also positions like graders where they're not actually teaching the class, but they're doing all the grading for the professor. Um, and yeah, and all of these together are positions where we're supposed to be working 50%. So officially we're, we're working 20 hours a week. That's not actually the reality. Um, and we're being paid around... $25,000 a year. I think we might be up to 27000 at UW thanks to union negotiations. Damn. Um, I think it was, and, and and my left that is 19. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've been moving uh, up. Uh, but, but that is, of course, only if you have a contract for each quarter, you know, fall, winter, spring, which is not guaranteed. So similarly, like adjuncts, we, this is not guaranteed. So, and Similarly, as you mentioned, like the different, the various different levels that everyone's at that makes it harder to organize, we're in the same situation. As I mentioned, ASCs are already divided into multiple different positions. You might be a teaching assistant, you might be a research assistant, you might be a grader, and you might be like each department has different um, relationships to their ASCs. And so in the sciences, a lot of them work in labs and those get outside funding. So they might be paid more, they might be paid less. And all of the grants that those labs are getting, uh, which might come from the federal government, that might come from private companies, they have their own stipulations. And the, um, like, I'm in the humanities, most of us, uh, like in English and history and philosophy and literature are in similar situations. However, um, like history, for example, has much more, like alumni tend to be more invested in our department for whatever reason. So they have more outside funding from there. 
So we tend to get, for example, our first year guaranteed funding. In fact, I think my year was the first cohort in which we're guaranteed five years of funding in some form. But what that will look like is dependent on maybe you're going to get an outside research grant at some point. Maybe you're going to get one or like a fellowship where you don't have to teach for a year and you're working on writing mm -hmm. and research. And maybe you're going to be teaching or doing some combination of teaching and grading, et cetera, right? Um, but yeah, so most of us for most of our time at the university as graduate students are either TAs or instructors, at least in the humanities. I think science mm -hmm. people are often doing lab work. Um, and what that means, yeah, is officially we're working 20 hours a week to do, there is a class, a giant class, probably maybe 200 students divided into several sections. And the TA probably takes two to three sections, which might have up to 30 students in them. So we're still teaching maybe 90 students. And they go to lecture with the professor once or twice, maybe three times a week. And then they come to section with us. And in the section is where they actually do what you imagine a college course being, where you sit in a circle and you have to talk about readings. You actually have to engage in some way, work on projects, do research papers. And the TA will be giving them feedback on those things and grading them at the end of the day. So the individual one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one relationship that the students have with somebody who's like a teacher is only really with the, the academic student employee. They, mm -hmm. The professor often doesn't even know their name or who they are. <laughs> and so we end up also taking a lot of this advising work, a lot of the day-to-day, -day, like, I mean, it's been more so since the pandemic, but even beforehand, you know, college is a rough time for a lot of students. There's a lot of like pastoral care that's happening in these mm -hmm. relationships. Um, so it ends up being much more than 20 hours a week. And of course, we have to plan these sections. And once you get to the candidate stage, you might be an instructor. I'm currently an instructor, which means I have a class of my own. I had to come up with the syllabus and the curriculum and everything myself. Uh, and as you mentioned, that's a lot of work before the contract even starts to do. Yep. And they can claim, oh, you're supposed to keep it to 20 hours. But as you mentioned, Brian, uh, if you don't do it, you're not going to get another contract like this next quarter. And if mm -hmm. I don't get these contracts, you know, I'm not going to finish my dissertation. This is how I get the funding. Um, and the other way I should mention that they justify this uh, kind of low pay scale and precarity is that we're also getting our tuition reimbursed. So officially, <laughs> I'm getting tens of thousands of dollars from UW in um, tuition forgiven, right? Because I have to be enrolled in order to be an academic student employee. But at this stage <laughs> of my career, my enrollment is in independent research study, where I meet with my advisor a couple times a quarter to talk about how my dissertation is going. Mm -hmm. And that is the extent of my coursework so, at UW. Yeah, it's they, so the reward you get is they solve the problem they created for you. Right. <laughs> That's the, right. yeah. yeah uh, the Although other one I, I like- I do still have to pay several hundred a, a quarter in fees to them. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I can't get out of that. Uh, the the other one that uh, I liked, my, my ex uh, was a graduate student at the University of Washington, which is how I know a lot of you guys. And um, uh, they told her when she was teaching classes that, uh, you know, well, you're also like being paid in experience. 
which I yes. love because that's like how like the most exploitative jobs like you know like like when you're like a model going to a sleazy like warehouse to take photos like at the end they'll tell you like we're paying you an experience don't worry about it like you know? oh yeah <laughs> or an internship I mean, if, they, yeah, if they're really smart about yeah. it they'll say this is actually vocational training you're receiving like you should be yeah. grateful yeah. Um, <laughs> And as somebody who's been in the job market for a couple of years now, I can promise you, uh, search committees do not think years of being a teaching assistant is a uh, very compelling teaching experience. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oof, oof. Yeah, and I mean, this is sort of the interesting thing about grad students too, is in theory, this whole exercise that you're doing, which you'll spend many years of your life doing, I mean, Ryan, you are you have completed your PhD. It got signed off, right? How many years do you think it took you from undergrad to like PhD? Unless, of course, you don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah, too long. <laughs> I mean, this is a significant chunk of your life you're spending. Like nine? I think it was nine years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think for like history in particular, it's like it's typically like it could be around a decade, you know, or it's at least close to, you know. The average, I think, is seven to ten years. Yeah. And uh, in theory, this is all for some sort of job at the end, right? Like, in theory, this is some sort of jobs training, right? Like, that is the promise that's kind of held out. And um, there was an article in the Times a little bit, actually, from, uh, oh, uh, what's his name at the UW, uh, Danny Baster, that basically he had argued that only 27% of people coming out of grad school were in four years getting full-time jobs, get, like actually on like college faculty. And that is a pretty horrendous fucking hiring rate uh, for this thing, this job training that you're spending a decade doing. Like, you know, if you had to go to coding camp for nine years and had a 27% hiring rate, that might be considered pretty scandalous. <laughs> but in college, this is accepted right and i think it gets to the point of the actual function of grad students which is it's not really job training it's just low-wage labor right like it's just highly exploitable low-wage labor yeah exactly and it's unfortunately we find when these colleges um imagine themselves to be in huge budget crises we're the first ones where they try to make cuts um because it's very hard to fight back so yeah, so because they know full well we are um, even with even though we're lucky at UW we are unionized like our union has all kinds of ASCs with varying relationships to uh, precarity and the um, salary structure and uh, we are only here for a temporary amount of time right so a lot of people don't want to make waves they do understand their work as an ASC as vocational training. They need recommendations from their faculty who they're ultimately doing a lot of this work for. So there's a lot of reluct a lot of reluctance to fight back sometimes. And it's just a matter of, you know, we are the most precarious workers. So a lot of us will um uh there's not much we can do in response when they wanna Yeah, it's it's very easy to squeeze, right, grad students. And I think this gets to the kind of ways in which college instructors are are easily exploitable we'll just say uh in that the college is presented as this place that's sort of outside of the like standard circuits of capitalism right like it's presented as it's it's the free marketplace of ideas right we're, we're all going to work at the at the idea marketplace and uh 
this place it's where even that we, we're escaping the marketplace to do what we love right we are living yeah. the life of the mind yeah which when they say do what you love that's always when you hang on tight because your wallet's <laughs> about to get inspected right you know but like we're all there and uh but you know you you guys were graduate students i mean you could maybe you could speak on this but it feels like graduate students are coming in with a lot of illusions maybe about what the higher education system is and what it has to offer and it does kind of make them easy to fuck basically easy to fuck over right like um yeah i mean like coming into it, like what what kind of was y'all's idea of like what graduate school was like what, what you know we're all now jaded and whatever but like what what was your like view of academia coming in sort of curiosity uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I 100% did buy into the, you know, I knew the, the job market was really hard. I knew that there was a very mm-hmm. good chance I would do the PhD and not end up somewhere. But I held out hope because I did think that this was one of those last bastions of places where um, you're not just selling your label toward your labor to an e- evil corporation. You're actually doing something productive and interesting for society and something kind of meaningful for your own kind of mind activity. And that was appealing to me, right? And that's why I was willing to make these sacrifices and willing to, you know, ha- be in a somewhat precarious position. Um, also, I wasn't making a ton of money before, so I was like, actually, the ASC salary looked good to me then, but this was seven years ago now. And having watched <laughs> the rest of my friends like start to have stable lives and like still stagnant, um, it's become that has taken a bigger toll on me than I expected it to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I entered grad school right at right after the crash in 2008, 2009. So it was that salary. I was like, oh, great. You know, I was only able to find part time work after college. So that part was also like, oh, this is security. And, um, you know, I was like Brendan. I also thought that I knew I was going to probably not be entering a well paid profession. Um, it would be hard to find a job, but I thought it would be easier than it is. Um, <laughs> you know, I was much younger then, so I think I also just was naive. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't imagine kind of, I didn't see myself as a worker, right? Mm-hmm. You, you enter seeing yourself as an as, aspiring professor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as an academic. And that culture of, you know, you should view, you should be viewed as a colleague rather than, or we view you as a colleague rather than students. Um, to some degree that that's true. Um, but in other instances, right, like structurally, it papers over the, you know, vast inequities that exist and the, the hierarchical nature of graduate school. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think in the end, you know, when you know i obviously did not attend graduate school i'll just be right in front about that but i i got to attend it uh through <laughs> my friends my spouse at the time um but having known nothing about it you know before coming up to seattle the business side of it let's just say the less uh uh the less pretty side of it was a total shock and the degree to which 
faculty and grads, even some of the grad students themselves, I think, kind of went to with the faculty to kind of hide that ugly business side of it, right? Or for the students themselves to kind of uh, lie to themselves to make it a little more palatable, I think, uh, was a little shocking too. Uh, to find out that like, oh, grad students are teaching classes at the time. Uh, I think when Varian first started going, it was like 16000 a year if you were like had guaranteed money for that year, you know? I mean, it like pretty scandalous stuff, you know, uh, considering what the professors at the college are getting paid, you know, the full time and tenured faculty to essentially do the exact same work. Uh, pretty scandalous stuff. But the thing is with college, like a lot of care work, that like ability to exploit the workers doesn't just stop at graduate school. Because like as you get a test, Ryan, like once you start then teaching your classes, you know, the thing about your students, uh, as much as, you know, we might want to complain about them, you do become like invested in them. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely yeah you care i mean you do this because you care mm-hmm. and not, not only about the discipline but also about your students right um yeah and yeah you're foolish to... enough to think this has value right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and uh and, yeah and i think like a lot of care work jobs you know that just like opens you up to exploitation because yeah, if I was if I was still in a machine shop, like, you know, Brendan, you know, we talk about this, like when you're staying at a class up and they tell you we'll only do dedicate 20 hours to it. And it's like, well, like, realistically, that's not going to be possible. And I'm going to do more to it. If I was like still working in a machine shop and they were like, well, I'm only going to pay for 20 hours. Like I would clock in and the second that 20 hour market, I'm leaving. Like, bye, yeah. guys. Because it's a different type of work. Like, there's a certain kind of distance you can put between yourself and the work. There's, like, I don't give a shit if Boeing has enough parts or not. <laughs> like, you know, like, not my problem. That's Boeing's problem. They can figure it out. But it, also, it's... you can't do your job at, at your home, right? Yeah. Where, like, as, mm-hmm. you know, as teachers, you can, we can grade and plan, right? Just, mm-hmm. we just need an internet connection. Yeah, and the thing that I'm interacting with isn't a machine or an uncaring uh, mega corporation. The thing I'm interacting with is my student who maybe is dealing with like homelessness issues, right? Or your students who are working like multiple jobs are trying to like figure out how to like make your class work within their job schedules and stuff, and which is a you know imminently more sympathetic uh, thing, right? And you know, so I try to tell my students, it's like you know, your teachers like you, right? <laughs> Like, we do like you. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot easier things we could be doing to make this meager amount of money. <laughs> um, but it puts you in this sort of spot uh, where you're just sort of... I don't want to say it like this because it makes, a, uh, makes it sound very bad for us, but uh, it just makes us sort of like suckers for the, <laughs> for the, for the plucking. And uh, I think for the sort of... Uh, administrative base of uh colleges you know who came up on business school tactics and stuff like that like it's it's just you know it, it's just the, the the place to squeeze when you need money you know um so that's the faculty position and that shit sucks but i, I want to talk about just one more group that's kind of forgotten in this conversation a lot uh you know particularly during contract talks and stuff like that which is a real unfortunate thing 
which is the support staff at the college. So along with the faculty who do the teaching of the classes, which, uh, you know, up to this point, we've confusedly thought was the point of the college. Uh, we'll learn it's not. But <laughs> the teaching of the classes, there's this whole substructure of support staff that actually makes that all possible. And, you know, if there's a group getting fucked more than the faculty, it's the support staff. And uh, Ryan, uh, you were mentioning your contract just the the effort to have like counselors and stuff but what's the support staff situation at csu dire um so generally at least in the art college um there's been a mass exodus of staff so um staff are paid really they just negotiated a new contract that actually got them kind of steps where you can see guaranteed rises in, in income um, that kind of are, is kind of like a COLA, but um, mm-hmm. that way they don't, they don't have to negotiate that part every year. Um, and they've been fighting for that for a long time. So that may stop the bleeding for a little bit, but they're very poorly paid, stretched thin. They usually cover multiple departments and uh, not only are doing the, kind of foundational work to make sure that the department runs um, like all of the small stuff that it's not small. It's, it's mm-hmm. just really important that yeah. faculty either don't have access to the copier. They don't have full access to the web page. Uh, they don't have access to a lot of things that the staff can do um, can help find rooms. But also our staff person kind of serves as an advisor um, for mm-hmm. students, there's always students in, you know, the staff office and, um, you know, they're also doing a lot of that care work for students, mm-hmm. um, that goes really unpaid. And, and in our department, that is a really important way that we've actually got retained a lot of students is having that person kind of serve as a, um, de facto advisor, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, internship coordinator kind of thing yeah i mean that part's extra critical uh here i don't know uh uh brenda does uw ctc link for like Um, classes i think it might just be the community college system in washington yeah i don't think so no so the community college system had to adjust over i think it was two years ago to this thing called ctc link which is a common uh like login system for community college students where they could do everything from it now as you might imagine from such a system, uh, it fucking sucks and it was not ready to be stood up when it was. And it's, you know, very hard to use. Uh, it's gotten better, but like at the beginning was very hard to use. And our secretaries for our building, for the trades building were absolutely critical in like helping the students just log on so they could fucking get it, get their signed up for classes. Which is critical because community colleges like really rely on user fees, <laughs> essentially student tuitions. So like we had a significant drop in enrollment after the adoption of CTC Link, and just from talking to my students, I'm convinced that part of it was they just couldn't figure it out and gave up. You know, uh, and you know it's that support staff that kind of makes that that stuff work. You know, and uh, we've since we now have at that time, we had uh, three secretaries doing various jobs that could help them with that. We now have just one that does that uh, with a, a student helper who sits at the desk to, to take appointments, I guess. Um, 
it, you know, it's 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 pretty brutal. How's it looking, uh, support staff wise over at UW, uh, Brendan? Uh, are we seeing secretaries vanish? That that tends to be the first one. Right. So like this year and starting in the middle of last year is much better simply because we finally hired a uh, full time administrator again. But like the one we had before when I first started, who did all kinds of work for the department um retired she had been with them for years and they just didn't replace her for several years Mm -hmm. um i don't know claiming they didn't have the money or what i don't know what and then everybody else yeah everyone else just had to try to pick up the work that she was doing but a bit that turned out to be untenable shockingly (laughs) like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. and so they finally hired a a new person who's a former uh, student of the department actually and there's other people, there is like the chair of the department has an assistant who does a lot of uh, organizing uh, of events and uh, making sure things um, just run smoothly. Um, they do a lot of work with grad students, um, just making sure that their um, paperwork is all in on time. Then we have some advising staff who does the actual advising with both undergraduate and graduate students and does some coordination with funding. Um, they're like one of these people is the one who kind of is our liaison with the graduate college and make sure that we have all of our kind of paperwork in line with that to um, BTAs in the upcoming quarters. Uh, Who else is there? Oh yeah. Then there's a person whose job is just to do the budget stuff. I mean, the the secretaries at colleges, you know, for anybody that has this like 1950s view, like it's like fucking Mad Men or something. And you're just like, Hey toots, you know, on the way out, like the secretaries at colleges are the like critical, uh, link that coordinates this very complicated system that is, a, you know, a college, right? All there's a lot of moving oh, yeah. pieces. And you, every time you, I have a question for my advisor, she's like, "Actually, you know who we should talk about to about this mm-hmm. is, you know, either the graduate college liaison or the kind of advising person because they know much better than I do about any of this. Even though my the advisor sec- is literally the chair, <laughs> like, the she is sec- in charge officially." The secretary for our building, when I came in, I didn't know the name of my department head for probably the first two years I worked at the college. Didn't know his name, didn't know where his office was, didn't know his phone number or email. You bet your ass I knew that secretary's email, phone number. She answered every question I had. She was like the first person I would ask about everything. She was like the keeper of all knowledge, like in the mm-hmm. building. And like I said, I mean, that's that's a tough job. Like the, there needs to be somebody that oversees this very complicated system, you know, and it sh- is basically there to keep track of it and coordinate it. Right. And increasingly, those people have been gotten rid of, uh, which yeah. then just falls onto the faculty and becomes service. <laughs> yeah. And you, you pointed out to the institutional knowledge part, which is incredibly important, just understanding that the various bureaucracies that exist on campus, the various pools of money that can Mm -hmm. be um, drawn from, that can't be drawn from, who to even talk to, right? Like, oh, so uh, who, which person in the administration does this email go to? Like the staff person knows, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And will often tell you, this is actually who who you're supposed to email, but in reality, they don't do shit. So you need to email this person. (laughs) Um, who to actually talk to in payroll when your shit's fucked up Uh, that's a very important question for me at least (laughs) i want that actual answer you know yeah it's it's a uh you know that's that's it's a very tough job that sort of coordinating job and it's like really important 
And part of the increasing dysfunction at some schools, uh, definitely not talking about mine in particular, but the increasing dysfunction at some of the schools has been the cutting of those jobs, right? Uh, on the student side, I mean, one, the students utilize uh, those those uh, that staff and, and secretary as much as the faculty does. But on the student side, the other big one is we have shed financial advisors, right? Like the people that are supposed to, they're there to help the students like find money. And for people who don't understand like the way colleges work, the money question is a very fraught one on colleges because money comes in from a million different directions and it has strings attached to it and like all this kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's complicated. There's not just a big bowl at the top of the college. It just says dollars and you just reach your hand in and grab it for whatever you need. Right. It's, it's actually like a very complicated question, uh, which has to do with what we'll talk about <laughs> next time, which is the idiot way that colleges are funded and run. But um you know, uh, for students, it's it's kind of similar. I tell all my students that you should never pay for community college, right? You should make somebody else pay for it. And the money is there, but it's not simple to get. Like, just as a student on your own, on your phone, you're not going to get there. It requires help, and we've increasingly got rid of the people that can help them. Um, and then we ask why our enrollment's down. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh. Big so mystery. I, Big yeah, yeah, yeah. You find that uh, the administration is constantly creating problems and then coming to you with their hands in the air, going, "Why does this problem exist?" You know, uh, it's fascinating. But yeah, the the support staff have really taken the brunt, uh, at least in the community college system here in Washington, have really taken the brunt. I think everywhere of uh, budget cuts, and it's I, I think it's been a huge loss for both the faculty and the students. Now, when we when we come back next time, when we talk about how colleges are funded, what we might find is surprisingly faculty and students, not really an important part of the college <laughs> from the administration's perspective. <laughs> and that might explain why they're not so concerned about all this stuff. Uh, Ryan, Brendan, thank you so much for coming on in your time. And uh, yeah, we'll come back. We'll reconvene now that everybody understands the Baroque labor system that the college works under. Uh, we'll then come back and talk about, if you thought this was ridiculous, wait till you hear about how the college is funded. <laughs> and what they do Looking with the forward money. To Looking forward to <laughs> yeah. another blood pressure raising session. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a, a follow-up on what happened uh, with the CSU contract vote. If it was my union, I would have been like, we're fucked. The, the <laughs> state leadership fucked us. We're screwed. That's it. Like, everybody's going to vote yes. Uh, it's, it's honestly encouraging to hear that campuses uh, some of the education committees are basically like vote no on this fuck this fuck this contract it sucks um, it's going to be it's i i think it's going to be closer a closer vote than previous contracts will be and mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting to see what happens come next week yeah yeah uh as a union member your reflex should be no on any contract until you've been given very significant evidence that you should vote yes <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like a good starting position no on pretty much everything every offer yeah yep all right guys thanks for coming on and uh we'll see everybody next time bye yeah everybody. thanks for having us all right thanks for having us yep.